Well, let's remain standing and let us turn to, in our Bibles, to Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans 13. We were singing that song while you're turning, just noticing the fourth stanza of that song. Oh, may these heavenly pages be my ever dear delight, and still new beauties may I see, and still increasing light. God's word continues to um, enlighten our path, uh, to illumine our way, and we look forward to hearing once again from him as he speaks to us through it this morning. We're going to read Romans 13, verses 7 through 10. And so follow along as I read, beginning in Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Paul says, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask this morning that the Holy Spirit, that divine instructor, of whom we just sang, would, would work in our hearts and illumine our hearts to your word and to the message that it has for us this morning. We pray that we would give good attention, Lord, as your word is preached, and we pray that we would come away glorifying you and rejoicing in our betterment uh, that we receive through it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our journey through this wonderful book of Romans, and this morning we come to verses really 8 through 10. We looked at verse 7 last week, but you'll understand why we began with reading verse 7 in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. What is the American dream? We all have heard of it. We all know of it. What is it? Depending on who you ask, I suppose, and and when you ask, it's sort of evolved over time a little bit, but most people would define the American dream as something centered around the belief that each individual has the right and the freedom to seek prosperity and happiness in our nation regardless of where or into what circumstances they were born. And a key element of that American dream is the belief that through hard work and perseverance that anyone can sort of rise and go from rags to riches, becoming, well, financially successful, uh, socially mobile, uh, things like that. And my purpose in bringing that up is not not to uh, sort of affirm it to you and not really to critique it at this point in the light of Scripture, although that would be an interesting analysis, But what I wanted to do by bringing that up is to to get to the point that most of the paths that lead to the American dream pass through phases of accumulating debt with the goal, one day, of being free of debt. 
And getting out of debt is an admirable and I think a biblical goal. We'll see that it is in just a few moments. But as we come to the beginning of the second half here of Romans 13, we are going to find that it is in a very important way an unattainable goal to get out of debt completely because there is a very real sense, a very real aspect in which we are always in debt. That's what we want to look at this morning is the fact that we are always in debt. How is that? How do we pay that off or can we even pay that off? And we're going to look at several things. First we're going to look at what I've called temporary debt. If you were with us last well, last couple of weeks, we were looking through the first part of Romans chapter 13, and you will remember, I hope, and this is why we read this again, Paul ended his instructions to us regarding the Christian's relationship to the governing authorities, to the state. He ended with this statement that is in verse 7. He said, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, an honor to whom honor is owed. That is, he says, pay everyone what you owe them. You have debts to pay. And here in verse 7, coming off of verses 1 through 6, he's talking specifically about to the governing authorities. Uh, some of them are monetary. Some of them aren't. Some of them are debts of honor. Uh, and he includes taxes in this. He includes revenue, which would include other kinds of fees and taxes that you have to pay to the government. But he says that you have those and you, you are to pay those. And then as he gets to verse 8, he picks that thought up and he uses it as a transition to his next subject. And he makes that transition by saying here, right at the beginning of verse 8, look at it with me, he says, owe no one anything. Now stop right there. Now I say that's a transitional statement, and it's, it's sort of, when we read across the, the paragraph break there from uh, verse 7 to verse 8, it can strike us a little jarring, because he just says in verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes, uh, revenue to whom revenue, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, all of these things that are, that are owed, he says. And then in verse 8, he says, oh, no one anything. So what is he talking about? Well, this is a transitional statement. It, just, it is mainly to get us into this new topic. But let's pause here for just a moment and see what it's saying to us. Is he saying, and many Christians have, have thought that this is what he is saying, he is saying that, is he saying that Christians should never go into debt? that they should never incur debt, that they should never borrow, that, that home loans and car loans and personal loans are prohibited for Christians? Well, the short answer is no, he is not saying that. If we look through the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, the Bible says quite a bit about borrowing and about lending. It gives us a lot of instruction, really, about it, some restrictions on it. But what it never does is forbids either borrowing or loaning. In fact, Deuteronomy 15.1 speaks of, of releasing people from debts that they've incurred. It was in the, 
Every seventh year, there was the sabbatical year that was part of the life of Israel. And in that, in Deuteronomy 15.1, God said that every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. So there's a little bit of a discussion there. There are laws and commands about not getting into the habit of issuing or using usury or very high interest rates when you loan to people. So there's a lot of discussion about it. Loaning and borrowing then and now is not the issue that Paul's getting into here. Now, there are issues of stewardship with, with loaning or borrowing especially, but no prohibition against taking on debt. Now, deciding that you don't want to take on any debt is a fine standard, a, a laudable thing, but one thing that we shouldn't do is, is put that forward as the biblical mandate, that we never, never be in debt, because that is just, that's not the case. But what is forbidden here, and what Paul is saying in these opening words of verse 8, is that he is forbidding not paying back what you owe, not paying back any debt that you have. In Leviticus 19.13, Moses wrote that you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. So even in that case where what you owe is someone's wages, if you're an employer, you don't hold those back. If you owe something for work done personally, if you're an employer with a payroll, don't hold back that payment. If you have borrowed anything, do not fail to pay back what you owe, Paul is saying here. Owe no one anything. Psalm 37.21 says that the wicked borrows but does not pay back. Paul is saying here, and the grammar in the original here bears this out, he's saying don't continue to owe someone something. And the NIV really pulls this out in its translation. It says, let no debt remain outstanding. That's what Paul's saying here. Pay your debts. Pay what you owe. He's just given you, in verse 7, some examples of things that you owe in regard to the governing authorities, to the civil government. You pay those, but he says, owe no one anything. He broadens that out and says, any debt that you owe, satisfy that debt. Pay that debt. You know, people today in big and small matters treat debt very often like it's a nice thing to do if you can pay back what you borrow, but they don't see it as a big deal, whether that's mortgages on a home or, you know, whether it's Wimpy saying, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, and then Wimpy never did. If any of you know who I'm talking about, you're as old as I am probably. But it goes for big things, it goes for little things. It's a poor witness when Christians do not pay their bills, do not pay their debts, do not pay their loans. You know, even if it's, loan me five bucks for this, I'll pay you back, and then they never, never do. We should always be sure that we repay any debt that we owe. That's what Paul is getting at here when he says, Oh, no one anything. Don't continue to owe. Don't continue to be in debt to the same people. But as I say, this is transitional. And this is not the main point that Paul is teaching us here. See the comma after that? He says, Oh, no one anything, comma. Oh, no one anything except 
Oh, there's an exception that Paul wants to bring out to us. And that is the point that he's wanting to get to. And it's the second thing that we're going to look at, and it is our common and continuing debt. Because there is one ongoing debt that Paul speaks of. An ongoing debt that is common to all of us. Everybody here owes this same debt. One that cannot be satisfied. One that can never be paid in full. Though we are to be keeping up on our payments as it were at all times, we do so with the knowledge that we will never be out, of, out from under this debt as it were. And that is Paul's focus here in these three verses. He says, oh, no one anything except to love each other. There's our debt. And this is a debt we can never discharge. We are called to love one another always. You owe it to everyone to love them. When you think of love, when you think of the nature of love, what passage comes to mind? Well, it's probably 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. Remember what Paul tells us about love at the end of that description. He says, love never ends. Prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away, but love continues. He says, so now faith, hope, and love Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Even in the eternal state, even after Christ returns and sets up the the ongoing eternal manifestation of his kingdom, that kingdom that we sang that we love, what we call heaven, in that day, we won't need faith any longer. We won't need hope any longer. Since, Paul says, that one does not hope for what one sees, And our faith will be replaced by sight because we'll be there. We'll be with the Lord. But love goes on. The requirement for love, the need for love goes on. We will love into eternity. We will love God, certainly, but we will also love one another. We will love the saints. We will love those who are with us worshiping the Lord in heaven. And we are called to love. It is a debt that will go on. You know, sometimes it may seem that our physical debts that we have here go on forever, but this is one that will. It actually does. And why is that? (coughs) What, our third focus asks, is the benefit of keeping current. Now, when I say keeping current, I kind of have in mind the idea of faithfully paying Uh, the payments on your loan, on your debt that you have, keeping current on this, on our account, on our obligation to love one another. It behooves us to keep current on that. And much of of just the previous chapter, in chapter 12, Paul, Paul spent that describing this love for us, didn't he? We spent some time there. He said, beginning in in verse 9 of chapter 12, he said, let love be genuine. Let it be sincere. And this is so critical, this idea of loving one another is so critical. Paul tells us, critical that we love each other. He says next, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Now, in that last passage, he wrote about our obligation to keep the law of human and governing authorities, but here, quite obviously, he is talking about fulfilling the law of God. The one who loves another has fulfilled God's law. Now, look, let's, let me point out something to you here that I think is important to understand. He says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He doesn't say that love motivates us to fulfill God's law. That's not what he's saying. In verse 9, we're going to see that Paul sets forward several of the Ten Commandments. But he's not saying if you love one another, then you will fulfill or you will seek to fulfill those commandments. If so, he would, he would say something like, for the one who loves another will fulfill the law, or something like that. But what he says is even more radical than that. He says, look, that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Loving one another is the fulfilling of God's law. Now, isn't that very much like what Jesus himself said in a passage that we mention almost every Sunday? When we look at various aspects of God's law, we will often go to this summary of God's law that Jesus himself gave in Matthew 22. There's an incident there. You know, we, don't, we read it a lot or, or quote it a lot, but we don't usually turn to it. Let's turn to it real quick. Matthew 22. Just so we know where it's coming from. In Matthew 22, we'll start reading in verse 34. Matthew writes here, But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So here Jesus being asked this question and they're asking it to try to to trick him, but he, as always, gets past that and gets to the heart of the matter and turns it back on them. He condenses the law of Moses. He condenses the, the Old Testament moral law, the Ten Commandments, down into two summary commands. One summarizing what we what we call the first table of the law. Those commandments, the first four commandments that regulate how we relate to God. You shall have no other gods. Uh, You shall not make or worship any image of God. You shall not cheapen or devalue God's name or any of the ways in which he makes himself known. And you shall keep holy the day that he has set aside as holy. That's the first table of the law, and God or Jesus summarizes it. And then he summarizes it with the second commandment for what we would call the second table of the law. Those other six commandments that regulate how we relate to other people. He summarized them in, summarizes them in those two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. 
and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that on those two hang all of the laws of the Old Testament. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, back in Romans 13, should or we should not think that Paul is in any way downplaying that first great commandment. He's not, but that's not his topic. His topic is, again, how we relate to one another. Chapter 12 and chapter 13 are are focused on that. He's been talking about how we deal with others in the church. Remember back in chapter 12, he's been talking with how we deal with people outside of the church, how we show genuine love to them. And then at the beginning of chapter 13, he talks about how we are to deal and relate with the governing authorities that God has set down. And when he says that no, that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, he's echoing Jesus. He's echoing Jesus' statement in regard to how we treat our neighbor. Loving them as we love ourselves fulfills his law. At the end of the little passage here, at the end of verse 10, he says it again. He says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Again, Jesus continued to make that point in his own teaching. In John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. There it is again. Now, it's new, not in the sense of, not having been around before, but now new in that, that now we have a new example of the true depth and the meaning of what it means to love. Because Jesus goes on to say, I've given you this new commandment to love one another. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that love for one another that we are to show means that in the in the light of Jesus' actions, that we are likewise to lay down our lives for one another, a proof of love that has no greater expression. So now Paul says that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law because love is the fulfilling of the law, the fulfillment of the law. Do you want to be a keeper of God's law? Do you want to do the will of God? Do you want to be Christ-like? Do you want to know what would Jesus do? Then love one another. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? To the extreme. And his love had effects and benefits that our love will not. His love was redemptive love. Our love is reflexive love. Based on what Christ has done. Because of the fact that God has given, uh, given his grace, shown his grace to us. We then love in response. Going back to chapter 12. That we are to be conformed. We are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Understanding God's will. Good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is that we love one another. We do it, we are to do it consistently out of a heart of gratitude for the mercies which God has shown to us. Love one another and you will be doing the will of God. That's the benefit of keeping current, keeping those debt payments coming in. 
continue to love because it is a debt that you will have forever. How do we pay this debt? That's the fourth thing we want to see. In verse 9, Paul explains what he has just said about loving one another, about that being the fulfillment of the law, and he does it by going back to the law. He does it by listing four of the six commandments of that second table. Again, his, his focus, his purpose is on how we relate to one another, and that is that we are to love one another. So he lists four of those six commandments and says that they are indeed summed up in the commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which, you know, Jesus quotes, but it's not originally from him. That statement in Matthew 22 comes from God's command through Moses back in Leviticus 19.18, where after giving several detailed commands to his people on how to show love for one another, we won't turn there, but it talks about, uh, it's the part that talks about leaving the gleanings of your field uh, for others, for those in need. It talks about not stealing or dealing falsely with one another. It talks about not oppressing your neighbor, doing no injustice to him, particularly in court, not showing partiality in any dealings. And then after all of that, he comes to verse 18 and, again, summarizes all of that by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we should mention that this is not promoting self-love. It's assuming self-love of a good kind. You want to take care of yourself. Whoever hated his own body, the New Testament tells us. So what does this say to those who think then that the fact that Paul now brings in these commandments from the Old Testament, what does that say to those who think that the commandments have no relevancy to us today? Well, it obviously says they're mistaken. What does it say to us about our view of the importance of the moral law in the Old Testament? It tells us that it still is relevant. Sometimes we say, why do we, why do we care about keeping that law, those commandments? Aren't we New Testament Christians? Aren't we New Covenant Christians? Well, this shows, doesn't it? And Paul's equating of love with the fulfillment of the law shows the abiding nature of God's law, that those commandments are still as pertinent for us today. That yes, God's moral law given in the Old Testament is still applicable today. Why do we need Paul to help us here with this more detailed exposition that he lays out? Isn't love enough? I mean, the Beatles said all you need is love. So what do we do? Well, I think that Paul has a different understanding of what that love looks like than Paul and John and Ringo and George. Many in the church today say, all you need is love. Which is fine, but you need to define that love. You have to say, what does that love look like? What does that love mean? And so Paul here helps us out by listing explicit commandments that show us 
what the love that fulfills God's law looks like. And it's very interesting and and an addition to our understanding here. It's interesting that that he brings in the Old Testament commandments. If we think again of 1 Corinthians 13, we see a very, very helpful description, an inspired description of love given from a primarily positive direction, isn't it? Love is patient. Love is kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things and believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Now, there are some negatively worded statements in there, but the bulk of it tells us what love is and what love does and how love acts. But now here, as Paul brings in the commandments, he shows us things that love doesn't do and isn't. Now, I don't think Paul's point is to get too bogged down in all the details of these commandments. After all, he skips two of them. Young people, come to me after service and tell me which two he skips. I'll be happy to hear that from you. But he gives four of the six commands of the the second table of the law. We're going to look at them briefly here to see how the the negative phrasing helps us to know what love is. First, he mentions the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. By the way, these are in the, they seem out of order, but they are in the order that they are listed in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. So that's where he's drawing this from. First is the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does that tell us about love? Well, it tells us that love is faithful. That love is chaste. That love preserves the sacredness of relationships. It fulfills vows. It acts honorably within relationships. Then he says, you shall not murder. You know, here we learn that love cherishes, love respects, it protects, it defends the lives and safety of others. It does no harm. Love protects from harm. Love seeks to enhance the the lives and the safety of the one loved. When we pray for the health of one another, when we pray for the physical well-being and the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters, when we relieve the the elderly, the infirm from work that they are not any more able to do, any longer able to do. When we act to others as a good Samaritan, when we do this, we're showing love to others. Next, he gives us the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Look at that positively. Love recognizes and respects what God has given to others. It doesn't steal from others in any way, but rather will protect our neighbor's possessions. The one who loves looks to the needs of others as more important than their own needs, Philippians 2.4 says. In fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, love does not steal. Love gives. That's part of love. 
when we in our congregation give to our our benevolence fund. That is a way of lovingly helping to supply the physical needs of your brothers and sisters who have physical needs. That too is part of love and so therefore that too is part of the debt that we owe to one another to love them. How about the next? He says you shall not covet. 1 Corinthians 13 says love doesn't envy, it's not jealous. When we are loving each other, we rejoice in the goodness of God towards one another. We don't covet, we don't desire what they have. We're content with what God gives us. We recognize God's sovereignty in distributing blessings, spiritual blessings and physical blessings. God sovereignly distributing those things as he sees fit, and we are glad when he gives to others. Not murmuring under our breath, that should be me. I should have that. And then Paul concludes by saying, and any other commandment. By which, of course, he means any other of God's commandments. Specifically, he's just sort of shorthanding the other two commands in the second table of the law. And again, I will look to hear someone to come and tell me what those are. But let me give you a hint. In loving one another through those, we learn that the loving wife submits to her husband and the loving, loving husband gives up himself and his will for his wife. The loving child submits to his or her parents. Loving parents bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The loving employer is fair to his employees, and loving employees serve their employers with a good conscience, knowing that it is God whom they serve. The loving church member gives due honor and submission to the elders and, and keep the vows they make at the church, in the church. And the elders who are paying their debt to love each other are faithfully executing their office and shepherding the flock of God. We also learn that love guards the truth, rejoices in the truth. It deals honestly with one another. It keeps its word without having to, to swear to it. It lets its yes be yes and its no, no. When we do all of these things, We are fulfilling not just these commands, but we are paying our debt to love one another. And if we are loving each other, Paul is saying here, we don't even need to to really be told, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Because we will be fulfilling all of that if we are fulfilling the great commandment that Jesus gives that we love our neighbor as ourselves because love is the fulfillment of that law. All of these, Paul says, are summed up in this word that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Finally, in verse 10, Paul puts this another way expresses this command to love our neighbor as ourselves with a negative spin. Look at there in verse 10. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Very simple. Love does no wrong. It causes no harm. It seeks no evil. If you love someone, the last thing you will want to do is harm them. 
Love seeks the highest good for the object of its love, the best blessings for them. If you love one another, that love will be shown, and we should let that love be shown. We must let that love be shown in our actions. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Did you hear that? Let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Don't just say it. Don't just write it. Don't just think it. Do it. Love does. Love is a verb. Paul has told us, let love be genuine. Back in chapter 12. Let it be sincere. And let it be to you as a debt that you owe to one another because of what God has done for you. It is a debt that will never be marked paid in full. Love is the highest good because love is the fulfilling of God's law. And let's conclude then this morning by remembering where this fits in our salvation. We have to remember and it's important for us to be reminded because we have a tendency to forget it, that we are not saved by what we do. We are not saved by this law or any part of it. We are saved by the gospel. We are saved by the one that the gospel presents to us. We are saved by Christ through the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. And then, having been saved freely, justified, as Paul has been talking to us all through this book about, having been justified by faith, now then living out that faith as the Spirit works in us, working His fruit in us, causing that fruit to to be manifest in our lives. And what's the first of the fruit of the Spirit? You know it. Love. He works that love into us and brings it, therefore, out of us. And when he does, we then are fulfilling God's law. And we only do this as we imitate the one who showed ultimate love to us, who showed it through coming and dying for us, us the most unlovely of creatures. But because he did come, because he did die, because he did demonstrate his great love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Because of that, because we have received his love, we have a debt of love to pay. And it's not just to God. We do have a debt of love to God, but God says we have a debt of love to one another. And in fulfilling that, in loving one another, we are fulfilling the law that he has given to us. And it's an eternal debt, we're reminded. So let's do it. Let's rely on God to help us do it, because we can't do it on our own. Even as Christians, we are not naturally loving people, are we? But let us pray that the Lord will work the fruit of the Spirit in us.
Let us seek ways that we can show love for one another. Let that be the warp and woof of our lives to love our brothers and sisters. Let us owe no one anything except to each other, to love each other because we have been loved so wondrously by Christ. Listen to this, and we'll conclude with this. In 1 John we read this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And to that, let us say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are called to love. But it is difficult for us. It is more natural for us to love at times and to hate at times. We confess that. But your word calls us to the repayment of this debt. And we pray that you would help us in our weakness. Help us to to think on Christ, upon the love that he showed to us. When he said, greater love hath no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then that he not just said that, but he demonstrated that. And in a way that we can never do, in a way that we can never imagine, in a way that brings us to being recipients of an eternal redemption. But we ask, Lord, that you would help us to love one another. Work in us that love that we may live in a way that fulfills your law. And forgive us where we fail, O God. And we ask this in his name. Amen.